Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. We missed you all last week. It's awesome to be back with you guys. And as promised, we have some exciting news to start off today's show. Drum roll, please. Problematic Women is now on Instagram. Reels, quote graphics, highlights from the show, you can find it all on our Instagram account. I'm going to be throwing up new content multiple times every week. And if you DM the account, I will be the one who's responding to you. Lauren and I just really want to craft this account to be personal, fun, and super informative. We love getting to connect with you all. So follow the account. You can search Problematic Women uh, and look for our our pink logo on Instagram. You'll see it. Can't miss it. Uh, And yeah, follow us, like our content, Send me a DM. I will respond to you if you do. But we're super excited to just be engaging with you all in this way. We are changing things up a little bit today and diving right into a few big pieces of news that we want to cover. But stick around because later in the show, Virginia talks with a very problematic woman named Kathy Sparks Lesnoff. Kathy used to work at an abortion clinic but now runs a pro-life ministry in Illinois. She shares her incredible pro-life journey. But first, let's hit some of the big news stories that we know you all care about. On Tuesday, New York Attorney General Letitia James released the findings of an independent investigation into sexual allegations against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. The report found that Cuomo sexually harassed 11 women from former colleagues to assistants and even a state trooper. The report also states that Cuomo created, quote, a hostile work environment for women. Let's take a listen to James announcing the findings of the report during a press conference Tuesday per the Daily Caller. Governor Cuomo's administration fostered a toxic workplace that enabled harassment and created a hostile work environment where staffers did not feel comfortable coming forward with complaints about sexual harassment due to a climate of fear and given the power dynamics. The investigators found that Governor Cuomo's actions and those of the executive chamber violated multiple state and federal laws, as well as the executive chamber's own written policies. This investigation has revealed conduct that corrodes the very fabric and character of our state government and shines light on injustice that can be present at the highest levels of government. Cuomo is denying the allegations as Republicans and Democrats call for him to resign. Even President Joe Biden on Tuesday said that he thinks Cuomo should step down. So, Lauren, what are your thoughts on this situation? He's a creep. He needs to step down. He should have stepped down months ago. I'm I'm so happy for these women that the truth is coming out. They were so brave standing against this guy. And I mean, think he was the number one governor in America this time last year. And everybody loved Cuomo. And uh, Biden was even talking about him 
putting him to the cabinet. And it was kind of an open secret that this was happening. But because the Cuomo family was so powerful in New York, he was seen as untouchable. And I think it shows that nobody's untouchable, even a popular Democrat governor of New York. And it's so significant that we're seeing people on both sides of the aisle calling for him to step down. And this investigation, this is done by a state I attorney mean, general. Si- significant, but we should not give the Democrats any credit. They, they, <laughs> they literally are doing the least. Like I watched that press conference with Biden and they were like, and they were like, well, you said if it comes out, like, should he resign? And Biden was like, yeah, no, that's what I said. And they're like, well, yeah, it's if it comes out that he did this, they pushed him a little. Yeah, like, and then he was like, "Yeah, he sh- he should resign." And then, like, if he doesn't, should he be impeached? And he was like, "Well, well, let's let's not get there." I'm like, President Biden, like, remember what you guys all said about Kavanaugh for a 30 year old? Yeah, and and now the eleven women have all been proven to be incredible, and now we're not even doing a full court press on this guy. Uh, okay, but I'll, I'll let you get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is my hope that I think sometimes what we see with these things is it like it gets a day in the news and everyone's super angry, and then you know the the left media just kind of goes quiet. His, you mean so his, brother? <laughs> yeah, his, his brother? Yeah, his brother. So my hope is certainly we can keep the pressure on. Janice Dean has done an awesome job of keeping the pressure on Governor Cuomo of not letting this go, of keeping this really in the forefront. Um, she. We've had her on the show. She lost um, her in-laws in a New York City nursing home as, uh, you know, COVID was COVID cases were, were soaring and Governor Cuomo was covering up how many elderly were actually dying as a result of COVID-19 in nursing homes in New York. He was sending uh, because of an order that uh, he made, he was sending infected patients back into those nursing homes. And then, you know, when Janice Dean saw that, okay, these allegations were coming out, she was like, oh, okay, yeah, well, however, I mean, her words are kind of, you know, however he goes, he needs to go. Well, and and let's not forget that Janice Dean has been a victim of sexual assault. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine the pain that she must feel. And I I mean, I'm, I'm sure in some way there's a part of her that's happy, but Whenever sexual assault survivors see this, the, the first thought that they have is it it takes them back to the time. And um, I listened to her. Uh, it was kind of crazy. Um, she was already scheduled to be on her friend Megan Kelly's podcast, uh, a podcast that we very much like here, a problematic woman. And um, I mean, they both broke down crying because it was mm. just so raw and to see the pain that these women and that's what it took to take down this guy that should have been taken down for what he did wrong to these. He killed these nursing home patients and he and the you know the Biden administration dismissed the case. But just to get any sort of justification and, and this for this guy to go down. I think it just must be such a like high and low at the same time. Yeah, so, so many emotions, I'm sure, for these women. Well, uh, Lauren, you mentioned Kavanaugh and, you know, just the, the difference in response that we often see from the left, depending upon who's being accused here. So uh, I want to play a clip from Governor Cuomo from September 2018 when Christine Blasey Ford, she'd come forward with sexual assault allegations against now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. This video is on Cuomo's own YouTube channel page. Here's what he had to say in regards to the allegations against Kavanaugh. There is a disrespect for women that this administration chronically uh, exemplifies. After the Me Too movement, 
they did absolutely nothing when it came to sexual harassment. Uh, they have always diminished the charges of women. Always. Consistently. And they're doing it again. To cheapen or ridicule the pain a woman suffers from a sexual attack uh, is disgusting. Sexist and disgusting. Uh, to second guess how a woman should have acted after a sexual attack is sexist and disgusting. Uh, I mean, it's just insensitive. You don't understand the pain. You don't understand how the system tortures a person who wants to come forward. So let's find out the facts. Let's find out the facts, Cuomo said. Lauren, give me your reaction. This is the problem with the left. They, they, they take things that, quote unquote, have good intentions, like the Me Too movement. Uh, from the beginning of the show, we have been supportive of the Me Too movement. We think women need to be heard. There is evidence and, and lived experience through women that I, I think every person who's listening knows that, that women are sexually harassed in the workplace and it is a problem that needs to be addressed. And it was such a great bipartisan movement of, you know, it's, it literally started with Janice Dean and, and women and Fox News, and, and they were really ready to come together. And we would, it would not be a political thing. It would just be women standing up for just the right to be respected, which is not political in the least sense. And then the Women's March came around, and they kind of co-opted the Me Too movement. And okay, I mean, that not a fan of that, but Whatever. It really didn't necessarily take it too far. But the way that they used it to try to take down Kavanaugh with a 30-year-old allegation, it, it just – it completely just took the steam out of the entire movement and, and what could have been great and could have been a way for women to come together. And I think to see a scumbag like Andrew Cuomo add himself to this while being the problem, it just – it makes me so frustrated, Virginia. Well, and I think we saw with that progression of the Me Too movement, like you said, it started out strong, yes. And then you have additions of like the hashtag Believe All Women. No. Yeah. <laughs> women and men both lie. We're all human. You know, people are, are not perfect. And no, we can't just automatically believe all all women. There needs to be investigations. There there needs to be, okay, we'll hear your story, but let's actually find out the facts. And that's what is significant with Cuomo is that the New York Attorney General did that. She went and found out the facts. Now we know what happened. Okay, action needs to be taken. Yeah. Well, we will be following this story closely, and I really hope that Governor Cuomo gets what's coming for him. Okay, pivoting to a also very disappointing but very important story. The end of July, just last month, a couple days ago, Democrats passed an appropriations bill, which happens fairly regularly. But what is not regular is that it did not include the Hyde Amendment. What is the Hyde Amendment? It became law in 1976, and it prevents the government from using tax dollars to pay for abortions through programs like Medicaid, with a few exceptions like rape and incest. For 45 years, this has been a law that Republicans, moderates, and many Democrats have supported. 
So how this works is that the Hyde Amendment is included in the House appropriations bill, usually, uh, which is just kind of uh, an appropriations bill is just fancy congressional speak for a budget bill. And that sends funding to you know various departments of the government, government programs, et cetera. So when Republicans try to pass something called a motion to recommit, which would have sent the bill back to committee so they could add the Hyde Amendment, Democrats voted against it. So let's go ahead and break down what some of these arguments are for and against the Hyde Amendment. It is significant to mention the Hyde Amendment has not always been controversial, but quite the opposite. It's often been something that there has been uh, agreement on across the aisle that we'll see that, you know, in in years past, Democrats have supported uh, President, now President Joe Biden back in 1986. He said, I don't think it's government's business when referring uh, to the funding of abortion. And he added, and if it's not government's business, then you have to accept the whole of that concept, which means you don't prescribe your right to have an abortion and don't take your money to to assist someone else to have an abortion. So that's pretty straightforward. He changed his tune, though, in uh, 2019 when he said, if I believe health care is a right as I do, I can no longer support an amendment that makes that right dependent on someone's zip code. So... Abortion is not health care. (laughs) (laughs) Age old argument from the left. Uh, So, you know, I I think this this is the progression we've seen. I think uh, that Biden is the perfect example of this where not that long ago this wasn't controversial. It's like, okay, if the American people as a whole don't support abortion, let's not make Americans that don't support abortion pay for it. Seems pretty common sense. And now we've obviously moved in a very strong opposite direction of when now we see every single Democrat in the House voting to uh, to strike down the Hyde Amendment. And to be honest, I mean, the Hyde Amendment should be reinstated and it is a better protection than nothing. But as any pro-life advocate will tell you, money is fungible. And what that means is when you're paying for the electric bill of the Planned Parenthood, they can't specify what electricity is going to abortions or not. And and every dollar that they're spending on front desk staff and, and for chairs for the lobby is money that then they save and they can spend on abortions. So uh, the fact that Democrats can't even support this bill that really just kind of saves face. And, and it's the bare minimum. And literally, it is the bare minimum. And, and that it's it's such a zag from where we were and, and you know, abortion in 1973, safe, legal and rare. I, and now it's abortion is healthcare. I think it just shows how far the left has gone and why now more than ever, we just really need to be fighting for the rights of these unborn children. Absolutely. No, this is it's something that should not be controversial. But of course, over and over it is and seems like it's only becoming more controversial. So what is next for the Hyde Amendment? The Senate has to vote on and approve the appropriations bill because uh, annual spending bills uh, like this one have to receive 60 votes in the Senate in order to clear the filibuster. It is unlikely uh, that we will see the Hyde Amendment ultimately be left out of the spending bill. So that's good news and positive. Uh, We'll continue to keep you all updated, but hopefully uh, we're going to see that once once this bill goes to the Senate, that the Hyde Amendment will be put back in. 
Well, finally, some good news to wrap up this segment. In a time where Olympians get more media attention for their protests than they do for actually winning medals, it was refreshing to see wrestler Tamara Mensah-Stock's reaction to winning gold in Tokyo. Of course I surprised myself. It's by the grace of God I'm able to even move my feet. Like, I just leave it in his hands and I pray that all the practice, that the hell that my freaking coaches put me through pays off. And every single time it does. And I get better and better. And it's so weird that there is no cap to the limit that I can do. And I'm, I'm excited to see what, what I have next. Last question for you. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. That clip went viral on Twitter, and I just wanted to do some research into Mensa stock. And Virginia, I was so impressed. She is a overcomer. She's a first-generation American. Her father immigrated from Ghana. She was a Texas native, and she's now 28 years old. She was originally a track athlete in high school and only started wrestling at 15 because her sister was doing it. And they were kind of playing, and then she was like, why, why don't you join the team with me? Uh, but tragically, also while in high school, her father died while coming home from one of her wrestling competitions. And I think what a lot of us would think is, wow, if I wasn't wrestling, my father wouldn't wouldn't have died. So she really kind of blamed wrestling for that, and it took her a while to heal. But she ended up wrestling in college, was a 2017 and 2014 national champion at the Women's Collegiate Wrestling Association competitions, and she failed to qualify for the 26 Olympics in Rio. But she still went, and she was a person to practice with, so she was still there supporting her teammates. She tried again in 2021, qualified, and she became the first black woman and the second ever American woman to win gold for wrestling. Reading more about her, just it's her spirit that really is just so contagious. I thought it was really kind of funny and uplifting that she brought a karaoke machine with her to the Olympics. <laughs> and she just makes her teammates sing with her and other Olympians sing with her. And one really interesting tidbit in USA Today, they wrote about, you know, she was doing a press appearance. And you think about Naomi Osaka, who will literally avoid competitions because she doesn't want to do the press appearances. But the USA Today said, quote, she was having the time of her life. So I think life is about what you make make of it and how you handle those circumstances. So in a world of division and taking the easy way out, be Tamara and keep fighting. Yeah, Keep uh, wrestling. Keep wrestling. There you go. <laughs> now, I it was just such a joy watching how excited she was and you know, I as she's obviously a believer, she obviously loves Jesus, and I think, gosh, that that joy uh, she's been through so much. That joy doesn't just come from her. Joy is a choice, and it's something that obviously is also just a, a gift from the Lord. And so cool to see an athlete that does have such a positive attitude have success. That's there's nothing like that. It's just so heartwarming. And these are the stories that make the Olympics so awesome. Such a fan. Thanks for sharing, Lauren. Now stay tuned because up next, I talk with Kathy Sparks-Lesnoff. Kathy used to work in an abortion clinic, but now runs a pro-life ministry in Illinois. She joins the show to share her incredible pro-life journey and discuss an Illinois law that she's standing up against that would require pro-life centers to refer for abortions. 
But before we get to that conversation with Kathy, attention to all of our problematic women listening. The show is now on Instagram. I'm so excited about this that I had to mention it again. You can catch highlights from some of our favorite interviews, creative social graphics, entertaining reels, and much, much more by following Problematic Women on Instagram. Just search for Problematic Women and look for that bright pink logo. Some of my favorite stories are the ones of personal transformation of people just like you and me. And that's why I am so excited to welcome Kathy Sparks Levznoff to the show. Kathy is the president and CEO of Mosaic Pregnancy and Health Centers in Illinois. I'm also so excited to welcome Alliance Defending Freedom attorney Alyssa Graves. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. So, Kathy, uh, I want to start by just asking you to share a little bit of your own story. You actually worked at an abortion clinic back in the 80s. Tell us a little bit about that clinic, what you were doing there, where it was. Just kind of share a a bit of uh, what you were doing at that clinic. Well, I had um, got involved in college three years into my nursing career. And during that period of time, I met married my husband, Mike. And then we found out we were expecting a baby. And so I um, knew that we just had to take a break from school. And then I needed to get a job to help pay down some student debt. So a friend of mine told me about um, an opening at one of the largest abortion facilities in the Midwest. They were hiring for a medical assistant to actually assist the doctors during the abortion procedure. So even though I didn't have my nursing degree yet, I had three years of nursing school. So I was very, very pro-abortion, pro-choice. Um, didn't start out that way. Grew up in a conservative home, but it took a year for me to get involved in a secular university to where I just really changed my entire opinion on the abortion issue. So being very pro-abortion, pro-choice, the, the opening, they pay more money than if I would have had my degree. For all those reasons, I went down and applied for the position and they hired me. So just moving on, uh, They hired me to assist the doctors during the abortion procedure, but I was able to be trained in every area of the clinic. So from answering the phone, sitting into counseling sessions, uh, the cleanup room, recovery, everything. So from the very beginning to the very end of what that woman would experience, I've witnessed it all. Though, again, I was only hired to assist them during the actual procedure. A couple of things that I would just want to share is that even answering the telephones, we would do a minimum of 40 during the week and 60 on a Saturday, and they were only licensed to do first trimester abortion procedures at that time. Mm-hmm. And yet we would do up to 10 extra abortions every day. We didn't want them to change their mind. Their parents find out changing their mind for them, or we didn't want them to cross the Mississippi River into the state of Missouri and get an abortion over there. So we would work up to 10 abortions a day. So we were, uh, it was a big, huge money-making business is what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really didn't really care about the woman. They cared about how many abortions could they do in a day. And for you personally, working in that environment, did you really have a sense of, I'm, you know, I'm helping women, I'm playing an important role here? What was the atmosphere like within the clinic? Well, there's a great amount of deception involved in these abortion clinics. There really is. I think when I got involved in the abortion industry, I did believe that I would be helping women. 
Um, certainly back then, they did not have technology. Science wasn't what it is now, so ultrasounds weren't uh, included then. So we didn't know when I got involved. But being involved, I saw arms and legs, babies. I saw that. And yet, my heart was very, very hard. The money is huge, and you're trained a particular way. Uh, and again, I was very, very deceived. So I think I did think I was helping women, but I also know that there were babies there in that way. Yeah. yeah. And during that season of your life, I know you talk about that there was a lot going on in, in your personal world as well, that it was a really challenging season for you at home. Talk a little bit about that. Well, my uh, husband and I hadn't been married very long, had a newborn baby, and uh, we had a lot of marital issues. And so Mike had actually forced me to uh, file for an uncontested divorce. All my friends were now graduating from college. I was still a year out. Um, my father had passed away. He was uh, an alcoholic, drank himself to death. So that was very difficult. So I really was suffering uh, with deep depression. Went over to my mom's, had this great plan. Uh, that the, day, the next day was the divorce. After the divorce, I would move back home and with the baby and then go back to school. But she just said no. She just said, nope, Kathy, you've made your bed. Now you need to sleep in it. And that was devastating for me. So I, I went back home with my little newborn baby. And at that time, my husband was a police officer. He was working midnights. But I made a plan that night that I would take my life. Mm -hmm. And so I waited till Shannon was deeply in her sleep. And I literally put a gun up to my head and pulled the trigger. And the gun didn't go off. And that was pretty devastating. And so I reached out to my mother-in-law and got the baby out of bed. She had me come over. I went over to her house and she just introduced me to the Lord and um, just told me, Kathy, you're here. You are trying to take your life. Why not give the Lord an opportunity to live his life through you? So I just prayed that day and repented and gave my heart to the Lord. So the next day, Mike did not get the divorce. He went over to his mom's and she gave him a Bible. Long story short, he gave his heart to the Lord three weeks later, and then we just really full out made a commitment in our marriage. And then the next day, God allowed me to see a very large uh, abortion. It was a 23-week abortion. They were only licensed to do first trimester abortions. They did abortions 14, 15, 16 weeks all the time, but this was the first time I had seen a 23-week abortion. And a normal first trimester abortion procedure would take five to eight minutes. This took the doctor 55 minutes to finish and to complete. And so uh, God revealed to me in that one abortion that whether these women are six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, or 23 weeks, they were all babies and I was killing babies. Mm. So um, anyway, I went home, shared it with Mike. Next day, went into the clinic, director of the clinic came in and told me she'd had a dream that I needed to leave the abortion clinic because of my religion. And I hadn't told anyone I'd become a Christian, so I knew that God had given her a dream for me. And so I left that day, never to return. Wow. Wow. Talk about an amazing week. I mean, within that span, just the highs and the lows of, of you trying to take your life, the Lord sparing your life, you being uh, led to Christ through your mother-in-law, your marriage, you know, your husband deciding, okay, we're not, we're not going to pursue this divorce, and then leaving the abortion clinic, what a significant and marking time in your life for you. Wow. 
It really was. It really was Virginia, and I'm thankful. You know, I'm really, really thankful. I, I feel like my life is really a Romans eight twenty eight. You know, that, and the Bible says, "For we know that God uses all things together for good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose." So, though that was a very dark, horrible time in my life, um, certainly God ha- is using it even now, all these years later, uh, for my good and to bring Him glory. Yeah. Wow. So you walk away from that job at the abortion clinic. Uh, You have this kind of new understanding of of life and what it means to live life and embrace life. What was then your journey to founding your own pro-life pregnancy center, the Mosaic? Uh, How how long uh, of a period of time kind of went by before you started the center? Great question. Five years. It was a long time. Once we, I got, well, I say we, my husband, and I got out of the abortion industry. Of course, I repented for everything that I had been a part of there. But I was, I uh, had a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. I was embarrassed, had a very difficult time sharing with anyone that I had been involved mm. in such darkness. And so then a friend of mine had talked to me about forgiving myself. And I realized I had a lot of unforgiveness toward myself for what I had done. So I'd made a decision to forgive myself, and I happened to be at a Bible study. Someone mentioned abortion. I, that was the first time, five years later, that I had talked to anyone about my involvement in the abortion industry. And so someone in that room actually connected me with someone who asked me to share my testimony. I began speaking for a year, and then uh, just my path was crossed with five other believers, and we began what is now known as Mosaic Pregnancy and Health Centers. My heart was really to help the woman who would find herself in an untimely pregnancy. Certainly, my knowledge of the inside of the abortion industry, I knew that I could take that knowledge, and if we could just empower women with truth, free services, alternatives to abortion, in a loving, caring, Christian environment, we felt like they'd probably choose life. And most of them do. So. Oh, I love it. So tell me a little bit more about the work that you all do. You're based in Illinois. About how many women are you seeing on a regular basis? And then tell me a little bit more about the services that you offer those women. Sure. Uh, we are in the state of Illinois. We have two brick-and-mortar buildings, offices. And then we also have a mobile medical unit. Our mobile medical unit is actually parked right next door to the Planned Parenthood in Fairview Heights, Illinois. So we're there five days a week. And, and it's awesome to be able to... A step right in front of them almost. You know, they see us, they come to us before they go get their abortion, and we're so excited when they choose life instead of going through with that abortion procedure in Planned Parenthood. The other brick and mortar offices, we do so much. We offer free pregnancy testing, all the services, community services that we possibly could, material services, uh, lots of referrals so that they could get good prenatal care. We are medical, so we have an OBGYN, we have five registered nurses who handle all of our medical services. We're a Christian organization, and so we are affiliated with the state of Illinois as an educational and a religious organization. And so uh, we're, we're able to offer those medical services all free and confidential, and we also are able to share the gospel with them as well. And where does the name come from, Mosaic? Mosaic. Well, we did a name change many years ago because we were offering so many services and you know, a mosaic picture, there are many parts, and when they come together, they make the whole picture. So a lot of these women who are in very difficult stages of their lives, their their lives seem shattered. 
But through Christ and through us just being vessels, we're able to see God put all these pieces back together. Plus, we're diverse. We, we serve a great diversity of clients and our Christian beliefs. We're just all Christians. So in many ways, that mosaic, making that picture, and you stand back and look at it, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, I love that. That is beautiful. Alyssa, I want to I wanna get you pulled in here in this conversation. So back in 2016, Illinois passed a law that required all pregnancy centers to refer women for abortions. Explain a little bit more about this law and its implications. So this law, SB 1564, requires pregnancy centers and any other pro-life medical professionals to essentially talk about the so-called benefits of abortion to every single pregnant patient. And if a woman asks about abortion, they have to be given a list of doctors that they think provide abortion. This is against the sincerely held religious beliefs of many of these centers. And it forces them to speak a message, the government's message that they don't agree with. And it's just so clearly unconstitutional. Thankfully, for the time being, there is a court order that prohibits the government from enforcing it against anyone in the state of Illinois. Okay. So for for someone like Kathy and Mosaic Pregnancy and Health Centers, how does this law, um, you know, force them to have to change their practices? How does it impact them on a day-to-day basis? So it forces them to change their policies and procedures. That's within the law. It says that they have to have procedures in their handbooks to essentially um, say what they will do if a woman comes in and talk to every pregnant woman about abortion, to tell them that it's an option in their pregnancy, even if it's a very wanted pregnancy, and then to also refer them for abortion. It changes the core of what these pregnancy centers do. It makes them present a message that they don't believe in. It makes them talk about something that they don't think is a good option for women and makes them promote the state's message, which is just against the free speech clause of the First Amendment. So this isn't the first time that we've seen a debate like this in America. California passed a similar law several years ago, but the Supreme Court actually struck that down. That was a big win for pro-life centers. So what are the differences uh, between that debate in California and now what we're seeing in Illinois? And, and why doesn't you know the Supreme Court's ruling in the case of California make it so that you know, we, we shouldn't really be seeing this happen once again in a, in a state like Illinois. The state of Illinois' law is even worse than the law that the Supreme Court struck down. There, it was essentially this, every pregnancy center had to talk about that the state of California offers free or low-cost abortions and essentially providing free advertising for the abortion industry. Here, they're saying any pro-life medical professional, for every pregnant patient, they have to talk about the so-called benefits of abortion. They have to refer to abortion doctors. They have to change their policies and procedures. It's an egregious violation of the First Amendment. And we at ADF argue that the case, the Supreme Court case, Nifla versus Becerra, does rule here. We believe it makes really clear that the state of Illinois cannot be engaging in this. Um, blatant discrimination against pregnancy centers. But we're still fighting this. And there's other examples across the nation. Connecticut just passed a law restricting pregnancy centers. Mm -hmm. And there's just this momentum to try to force centers to talk about the state's message, which is just unconstitutional. 
So share a little bit more um, about Alliance Defending Freedom's lawsuit in this case, where it stands right now. Um, Obviously, Kathy is a part of this lawsuit, um, and I know this is a group lawsuit, so who else is involved? So we represent Kathy's Center Mosaic and other pregnancy centers, as well as NIFLA, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, which also successfully challenged the California law. Uh, There's currently a court order in place that stops the government from enforcing it against not only our clients, but against anyone in the state of Illinois, which was a huge win. Uh, We are currently going through the the discovery phase and the fact-finding phase and hope to resolve at the district court level sometime within the next year. So, Kathy, for you, why did you decide, okay, this is this is something that I need to take a stand on. I can't just sit back. Yes. You know, for two main reasons for us, Virginia, you know, the first, as I said before, we're licensed in the state of Illinois as a religious and an educational organization. So the first aspect of this, it was a violation directly against our freedom of religion. This would force us to refer for abortion, which is against the very core of who we are. We believe abortion takes an innocent life. We would never refer for abortion, no matter what. But second to that was it was a violation of our freedom of speech. So to be able to provide the so-called benefits of abortion, we would never do that. So the government, in essence, was forcing us to lie to our clients. Being involved in the abortion industry, I can address that. There are no benefits to the abortion procedure. Abortion hurts women. It does not help women. It hurts women. So we would never lie to our clients by providing so-called benefits of an abortion procedure. Mm, Wow. And Alyssa, are you optimistic uh, that we're going to see this case move forward in, in a positive way? So currently, like I mentioned, we do have a court order in place that is very protective of our beliefs. And we think, we hope that the Supreme Court's ruling in NIFLA versus Becerra in California will help us to uphold this right to free speech in this case as well. Yeah, that's so, so critical. Well, Kathy, I would love to toss it back to you and just ask you to share a little bit. We heard uh, at the beginning of our conversation about, you know, your journey and, um, you know, you had your your child, you chose life for your child. Share a little bit about your family now, if you would. Well, Mike and I uh, were married 36 years and after an 11-year cancer battle, Mm -hmm. I came in home to be with the Lord, but I'm just really thankful that God gave us four more children. I have 16 grandchildren. two years being widowed and did get married again. So very blessed uh, to be able to experience a second happy marriage. So that's been really wonderful. And I'm just really, really thankful for the work of pregnancy care centers all across the United States. And you know, Virginia, we're just one. We're one of 3,000 pregnancy resource centers that offer free and confidential care to women who find themselves in an untimely pregnancy. And so I'm just really thankful for this opportunity to be on this podcast today Uh, to be able to encourage your listeners, everyone who will be viewing and listening about the work of Pregnancy Resource Centers and Alliance Defending Freedom as well. Yeah, no, both Alliance Defending Freedom and the Pregnancy Centers, yours, Kathy, and the many, many all over America, you all are doing such, such critical work, really being 
hands and feet on the ground, impacting the lives of women, supporting them. Kathy, before I let you go, I do want to ask you one question that we love to ask all of our guests on this show. We get so many different responses, uh, and that's, do you consider yourself to be a feminist? Yes or no? Why or why not? Oh, that's a great question. I am. I'm a feminist in the fact that I'm a woman. And I'm just really thankful that God created me as a woman. I embrace my femininity. And so as a woman, I would say I'm a feminist. I think that you can be a feminist. You can be pro-life. You can be pro-woman. You can be pro-work. And you can be pro-mother. And you can do it all. And so I'm very thankful that I've had the opportunity to work full-time and and be a mom and raise my five children and and just continue to do what God's called me to do. So I would say yes. I love it. Well, ladies, thank you both uh, so much. We're going to continue to follow this case, but really appreciate, Kathy, the work that you're doing to impact women. Alyssa, the way that uh, you are standing for justice, you're uh, standing to uphold the rulings of the Supreme Court. And so we, we just thank you both for your time today and for all the work that you're doing. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you so much for having us. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you about the most popular resource on the Heritage Foundation website, the Guide to the Constitution. More than 100 scholars have contributed to create a unique line-by-line analysis of our Constitution. The guide is intended to provide a brief and accurate explanation of each clause of the Constitution as envisioned by the framers and as applied in contemporary law. There has never been a more important time to have an understanding of our founding document. So if you want to learn more about the Constitution, go ahead and visit heritage.org constitution or simply search for Heritage Guide to the Constitution. Now, it is that time once again, and this week I'm particularly excited for this. My favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... Jolene Pumphrey and all the Summer Heritage Foundation communications interns. We could not do the work that we do here on Problematic Women or across the building without the help of our interns. This summer, Jolene Pumphrey, Alexander Bedner, Emily Smith, Bernadette Breslin, and Nicole Kisler joined our team to produce content just like this podcast. And one of our hardworking interns is here with us today. Welcome, Jolene. Hi, thank you so much for having me. That's so sweet. <laughs> so for those who don't know, Jolene is a all-star intern and normally is sitting on the other side of the glass, helping produce the show, recording, hyping us up before the show. Yeah, editing out all our mistakes. Yes. Not that we ever make no, any. No, no, no. no yeah, no. we make it really easy for her, right? <laughs> oh, of course, all the time. <laughs> Super easy. <laughs> so Jolene, you go to school over in California. Yes. You're going back to your senior year. So I want to just start kind of what is it like being a conservative on campus? Are there a lot of other conservative women on campus? And and what are your relationships like with them? Yeah, I would say college campuses as a whole, I feel like they're pretty leaning liberal, or at least most vocal is people that fall on the left side. Um, I would say most recently in the past year or so, I kind of became more involved in politics and more willing to put my opinion out there. Um, And since then, I feel like I've encountered more people that have I feel like felt more comfortable to come up to me, girls especially, because before that, not going to lie, it felt kind of lonely. You just kind (laughs) of you didn't really want to say anything, especially during the election, I would say, because 
I mean, it's kind of a kick in the gut when you see your friends or your quote unquote like friends post things being saying just nasty things about Republicans, Donald Trump or just anyone that would vote for him or anything along that lines. And so when you see that, you're just kind of like, oh, geez, like if they knew anything, they would hate me or would they not want to be my friend? And I feel like that's kind of what I struggled with for a long time. And then it wasn't really until I don't I don't really know what like kind of made me just be kind of like, you know, like if this is how it's going to be and they don't want to be my friend without getting to know reasons about me or just based off one simple fact of who you're voting for, then maybe I don't want to be their friend either. And not in like a mean way, just kind of in I feel like that's not supposed to be a definition of friendship is political beliefs because like, I have friends on both sides of the aisle. And I feel like a lot of girls, especially you get kind of put in this corner if you if you don't if you aren't super liberal or you're not being really vocal on social media, you're afraid you're going to be socially ostracized or just completely hated by people you think are your friends. And if it's not your major to be political and you're not super involved in that, then I could see why a lot of people would just be like, well, I'm just not going to say anything because I don't want to be hated. Yeah. And I'm sure those same girls like post like, all Trump supporters are, you know, terrible racists. Yeah. Hashtag tolerance. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a little hypocritical yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but I know, Jolene, one thing um, that we talk about quite a bit here at The Daily Signal is, you know, sometimes what we see uh, is that conservatives are often on on defense. And there's this, OK, how do we actually get on on offense on some of these issues uh, and on college campuses, that's certainly a situation that, that happens a lot where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I don't just want to be living on defense and just always having to kind of combat, you know, what people are saying about me. That That's not true. How have you dealt with that? Yeah, no, the, I feel like that's a huge problem. Um, even in some of my classes, too, we were paired with people of your opposite opinion. It was kind of cool, but you'd email back and forth and just kind of talk about your just thoughts on topics. And I always I remember once I was telling my dad because I was trying to, like, tell him what I was drafting out. And my dad was like, why are you always putting yourself in, like, the defensive position? Like, why are you having to defend yourself with all these facts, which I had in this one person was just saying, Blade, like just really plain statements and not backing it up. And it kind of made me think, yeah, like why why am I playing defense right now? Like I should be playing offense and it shouldn't just be one person can say something or one side can say something and not have to give any any further explanation, facts, nothing. And one side feels like you have to prove yourself right or you'll be deemed in the wrong. So I don't really know why <laughs> conservatives are put on defense. I think a lot of it just has to do with Kind of just the social norms and, and social media, which is kind of a sad thing, but it's people will just post graphics and it's if you're not reposting it or you're not liking this or you're not following this, then you're kind of put in this this box and people won't give you the chance to hear you out, A, and B, defend yourself. So so did you start changing the way that you were having those conversations of like, you know, pushing back or asking more questions? Yeah, I feel like recently what I've just been doing, not that I'm in, in anyone's face, just kind of like preaching my beliefs or anything. But if I hear something or see something, like I'm not just going to like sit back and take it. Like I'll like say comments or I'll say something to be like, hey, like, you know, like I don't think that's like right. Like here's this side or here's what I think. And for the most part, my at least my close friends that don't believe the same thing as me, like we get along so well and we can talk about it. But I have encountered people that I can tell just don't want anything to do with me. And that's fine. Like, that's okay. Like, I, I, I understand it's, it's reality, but 
I feel like just starting to step up and just a way you don't have to be like super preachy about it or in people's face, but just kind of slowly being like, no, like here's this side. Here's what I think. Just pushing back a little bit just when comments are made that don't have any basis on them. So I, I feel like based on what I'm hearing and, and you know, what I've experienced is that the liberal perspective is kind of like the default on social media. And mm-hmm. you just assume that every woman that you meet is a yeah. liberal. So how can we empower and work with conservative women on college campuses and just young women in general to kind of be more vocal and and, and not afraid to stand up and, and kind of challenge that norm of, yeah, just, OK, if you're a woman, you you love Planned Parenthood. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it. I honestly think the only way is just for other girls to start being like vocal in their beliefs and just starting to be like, it's okay to vote Republican. It's okay to be a conservative. And I think until then, it's it's going to be hard just because you are kind of put in this defensive position. But I really think it just takes a group of people to just start to show like, it's okay to think this. It's okay to like, it's okay not to just go with the flow and, and go on this default opinions. I know it's, that's a hard because I get like people like people can be mean on social media and like the posts that I've seen where I'm like, wow, like would they like actually hate me if they knew like I <laughs> believed a certain thing? So like I completely understand the fear to want to say what you're believing because you're just afraid you're going to be completely just like canceled, I guess, or just not. I don't know. Just socially ostracized is the best word I could think of. But um, I just think it's slowly just getting people to start to be okay to be like, here's what I think and here's why and be okay with it. Yeah. Actually having normal people conversations where we just talk with each other and don't go right into know you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Conversation I think is key because I don't think everything is on social media. Like that's all just surface level stuff. I feel like social media is not a good way to really get people to understand it's all discussion and talking well, yeah well Jolene as much as we really wish we could keep you here at Heritage <laughs> forever <laughs> forever I am very happy to know that you are going to go back to California and fight the good fight <laughs> <laughs> have an awesome senior year and thank Jolene you. thank you for all of your hard work seriously, on we are, the show seriously we are so proud of you yeah oh, thank you Well, and with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Hey, Jolene, can you take us out? Of course. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.